0: You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT
1: Smartcast. Hi, I'm Dhamini, and you're listening to Gender Question. Here, we will look at an issue that's in the news using the lens of gender. The idea is to take a blind spot and throw some light on it. <laughs>
0: और रोजगार की समस्या एंप्लॉयमेंट की सबसे बड़ी समस्या आ रही है ऐसे समय में हमें रोजगार का मैं खुद भी मतलब डाइवोर्स हूं मेरे दो बच्चों की जिम्मेदारी है मेरे पे तो मेरे सामने ये क्योंकि मेरा जो वर्क है वो इस टाइप है कि मुझे फील्ड में जाके ही काम करना पड़ता है अगर सरकार अभी आने जाने के साधनों का इतना अभाव है कि हमें पर्सनल मतलब साधन लेके जाना पड़ है as
1: the coronavirus epidemic began to spread, the state and central governments got into crisis mode. They released documents to guide hospitals and common citizens alike on protocols. They arranged for testing kits, and the Indian Council of Medical Research released SOPs on how to use them and who all could use them. Municipalities came up with flyers and posters and employed auto rickshaws to tote loudspeakers that would provide information on how to keep oneself safe during the pandemic. Wear masks, carry sanitizers, maintain a six-feet distance from each other. The centre even came up with a mobile application, Arogya Setu, that helped people detect others with COVID-19 in their vicinity. But how was all of this to reach persons with disabilities? The Ministry of Social Justice and Empowerment released a list of detailed guidelines to provide facilities to people with disabilities during the lockdown. It included points like all information concerning COVID-19 should be available in local languages, in accessible formats such as Braille and audio, for persons with visual and audio impairment. The guidelines also stated that all emergency service providers should be trained to deal with persons with disabilities and online counselling sessions should also be provided to them. Yet, on July 14th, a report was released on how the lockdown was experienced by women with disabilities and it presented a grim picture. The report was called Neglected and Forgotten – Women with Disabilities During the Covid Crisis in India. It was brought out by Rising Flame and Sight Savers. Rising Flame is a non-profit organization based in India, established in 2017. It won the National Award for Empowerment of Persons with Disabilities in 2019. Sight Savers is an international organization that works with partners in more than 30 countries around the world, to eliminate avoidable blindness. It has been working in India since 1966, and it has supported the treatment of over 36.5 million people. To do this research, the authors, who are disabled people themselves, spoke to 82 women and 9 organisations across 19 Indian states, as well as 12 experts. While over half the participants lived in urban centers, over a quarter lived in rural areas, and the rest belonged to small towns. Thus, the range of experiences captured were wide. The disabilities included blindness, deafness, autism spectrum disorder, locomotor disabilities, and cerebral palsy, among others. The voice that you heard at the start of this podcast was that of Anuradha Pariks. She works with Sajag Divyang Seva Samiti, that's based in Bikaner and she was speaking at the online launch of the report last week. I spoke to Nidhi Goyal, the founder of Rising Flame and one of the authors of this report, to tell us a little bit more about the experiences of some of the women that she had reached out to. Nidhi is also a woman with a disability. Nidhi, thanks so much for joining uh, us on the gender question. I am uh, really excited to have you over here and to help us understand what this report that has come out, uh, what is it really trying to talk about? I'm just going to start off by asking you, you know, your report captures the experiences, particularly of women with disabilities, right, um, during this COVID mm. epidemic and especially during the lockdown. Uh, what I'm wondering is why are you looking at women in particular?
0: Um, so it's a report on women with disabilities. And the reason I'm saying not just women and women with disabilities is because we're really talking about a large section of population that stands at an intersection, which often are invisible. I wouldn't say they're entirely invisible, but they're very much invisible, right? Um, We think about women's issues, we think about disability issues. But in the time of crisis, where already thinking about women's issues is a big thing, where already if you bring up disability issues, you're asking for too much, um, where do women with disabilities standing at this intersection, what have been their experiences and responses? And they're so, so neglected and forgotten, mm-hmm. um, which is really the even the title of our report. And, and it really comes from the experiences that women shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to give a couple of examples, why the gendered nature of this report was important. So when we talk about persons with disabilities, you'll talk about, okay, the food is not being delivered to doorsteps. They have a high vulnerability. Um, you may not talk about violence. One may have conversations around assistive devices um, or lack thereof. You may not talk about what is the gendered nature at home of just having those assist- assistive devices or if you're prioritized or not. Yeah. Um, there are many such issues. As a disabled feminist, as a woman with a disability myself, I was actually upset when the whole piece of shadow pandemic came up and there was no emphasis on the kinds of violence that women and girls with disabilities face at home, how much more harder it is for them to leave abusive situations, how shelter homes are absolutely inaccessible, non-accommodating of women and girls with disabilities. So really having a gendered nature of a disability report or a disability nature of a gender report, whatever you want to call it. But I think having this intersection and amplifying the voices of Women standing at this intersection was absolutely important for us.
1: one of the uh, possible criticisms you know that uh, a lot of um, activists also face is that why is it that you 're only focusing on this one group and you know, why not look at the terrible things that are happening to people who you know may have greater power in a majoritarian sort of scenario and uh, mm. I think that it 's important and, and what you say particularly is so important because it brings to light. Uh, uh, just simply the fact that this is really not about an Olympics of, uh, you know, who is the bigger sufferer. It's about recognizing that there is suffering happening and constantly bringing in the nuance through understanding the intersections of different kinds of vulnerabilities.
0: And therefore, the different kinds of sufferings that could come through those vulnerabilities. It's not really when we talk about women with disabilities. So first of all, disabilities is not a homogenous group. So this whole sort of hierarchy of vulnerability that people create um, or even the the sort of complexities, right? I do not believe in this double marginalization, triple marginalization because marginalization is very complex. It's not an additive process.
1: True. And in fact, your report, as I was saying earlier, your report actually reflects that because I think that you have also spoken to, I think, what 82 women uh, from... Urban and rural backgrounds, and across the nineteen states, but I different kinds of disabilities itself, right? Uh, women with Correct. disabilities. right, no, so that is a different that's definitely a different. and and I think that yeah, you're right. I mean it's not about an additive process of marginalization, uh, you know, I mean, it's not like I am more marginalized than you, and I think also that's such a reductive way of of addressing the issue. it's 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 really about the problem at hand. And how does one resolve it? And it's a question of understanding the scope of the problem. And I think that's essentially what this report is also trying to do, is to just widen Absolutely. our scope of looking
0: at the problem, right? Just to also give you the gravity of the situation, 72 women out of 85 um, reported that they faced inaccessibilities mm. uh, in digital, physical, and informational inaccessibilities in accessibility around or in access around food and essential around accessing health services. So really in every aspect of life, if I just had to break this down and say, okay, access, but what, what did information, digital and physical access look like for women? Sure. Just to say that when announcements are made, Government, central government announcements, state government announcements. How many times do we even see a sign language interpreter in the corner? And what happens when on the screen, we all take the information in and I count myself as we because I cannot see, but I can hear. Um, So I take that information in. But what happens to a deaf woman? Um, So there are accounts where deaf women have said that, you know, when the first announcement of lockdown happened, they didn't know anything. Their friends just said, don't go out because you'll die. And that's it, and it made no sense to them.
1: The absence of access wasn't just limited to the physical space. The lockdown also presented barriers in the digital space. Something like the Arogya Setu app, which is supposed to be downloaded by everyone in an effort to map the spread of the coronavirus disease, isn't accessible to someone with Nidhi's disability. In the next episode, we'll talk more about that as well as the recommendations that Niti had on how to address such exclusion. If you have any questions, do reach out to me at the Red Dhamini on Twitter. You can also leave your feedback at HT Smartcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by
0: HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.